Welcome back to the Troop Leader Experience podcast. I'm back with another interview today. And um, full disclosure, we're going to kind of let this be a pretty organic conversation. So we'll see how it goes. But as usual, um, listeners, since this is kind of a new thing for us that we're trying to do with these these different types of interviews, let me know what you think. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think about this episode. Um, as you're listening, when you're done listening, what are your big takeaways? Did you enjoy it? Do you want more things like this um, kind of outside of the Girl Scout organization? So with all of that being said, um, my guest and I just met. So I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Please tell us who you are and a little bit about what you do. Sure. Um, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Jen Kidwell, and I sometimes refer to myself as a multivocational human, as uh, I know many of us are. Um, I am a um, I am a, a churchy person. I studied theology in, in seminary, um, and I also have a law degree. So I am really interested in the substance of what makes people tick. I love community. I love justice seeking. I love uh, working with working with kiddos and families. Um, and, and after I graduated with my um, graduate degree education, I, uh, I've done a handful of different things, almost all centered on working with children and families. Um, I, uh, I worked at Legal Aid for a little while. I represented kiddos in the foster care system. Uh, and then I, I worked for, for a long time at a, at a local church working with youth and young adults um, and then you know, older adults too. Um, and, uh, and had such a great time hanging out with, uh, with middle schoolers and high schoolers especially um, and, uh, and uh, enjoying, enjoying my time with them, exploring what is meaningful to them um, walking with them through, through challenges, um, helping them navigate the world, um, and learning a ton from them, of course, in the process. Super interesting. I feel like I could ask you a million questions about all kinds of life experiences that you've had, but let's start with a lot of your, um, background and experience and, and even current career and probably future career, because you mentioned you're really interested in, um, working with kids, all ages and families, can you tell us a little bit in your experience about what you've noticed are, and I understand gender as a spectrum, but what are some of the specific experiences and challenges that girls are up against in this crazy world? Oh man. Uh, I mean, so many things, right? Like we hear it on the news and in the media all the time, the way that social media and Instagram in particular really impacts um, self-esteem and um, and their relation and relationships with peers, um, which are like such a formative part of the teenage years as it is. Um, and so it just it, social media creates all of these other forums for these like really complicated relationships uh, between between girls uh, to 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 get even more complicated. Um, and so the the self esteem piece is is huge, um, as is the um, the uh, numbing numbing actions. I guess as the the big umbrella that I would use. Um, and so sometimes that that is uh, maybe substance issues or um, or control based um, things, especially around food um, or even uh, even self harming behaviors. You know, those are I feel like. So many of the teenagers that I know, uh, 
have friends who are um, going through one or more of these situations, um, or they themselves have uh, are going through um, some of these um, some of these coping mechanisms or tendencies, and um, and they they want to know how to be good friends to each other. They want to know how to support each other in these moments, um, and of course, they also want tools to help themselves get to a place where they like themselves for the beautiful creature that they are um, and, and are able to kind of move forward in the world without the burden of these, of these doubts uh, kind of following them everywhere. And so I often work, work with kids who, who care so deeply. They are, they are sensitive souls uh, and they see the world with so much more nuance and complication than I think we often give them credit for. And that's one of my favorite things about working with middle schoolers, right? Like so often, right, at least in the church context, um, curriculum that is written for middle schoolers is, um, it treats them, I don't know, generally speaking, a lot more like young children. Um, whereas if you look at the stuff they're doing in school, right, the, the history that they're studying, the novels that they're reading, right, they, they are being challenged and stretched to learn like difficult things uh, and, to, and to reflect on uh, kind of some, of the, some of the real stuff in the world. Um, that can be that can be challenging. That you know butts up against trauma and tragedy and and all sorts of things. And so I think it's really important that when we have the opportunity to work with uh, you know young teenagers uh, and older teenagers too, but especially the middle schoolers, um, we we understand that they are. We don't need to like hide the world from them, right? They already see it. They already know it. Um, they're, they're learning about it in school as well as in other, you know, media spaces. And so, uh, meeting them in that place and giving them tools to understand and process those things in light of the values and identity that they, that they profess, um, I think is, is super important. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And one of the things that's particularly interesting to me about what you do and, um, kind of how you lay it out on your website, for example, your big kind of tagline on your website is creating connection through writing, storytelling, theology, and technology. And so I want to hear from you a little bit about storytelling. How does storytelling create connection? And especially when it comes to working with kids? This is such a good question. I love this question. Um, so storytelling is so foundational in, in so many ways. I think oftentimes we use stories as a way to, you know, communicate about ourselves to other people, uh, which is, you know, fundamentally important for, for connecting and building relationship. Uh, but I think also we we use storytelling to connect to ourselves and to define ourselves um, and you know, that I know not everyone's brain is like this, but I think many of us have an ongoing monologue in our head all the time. Um, not just thinking thoughts, but also reflecting on those thoughts, reflecting on our actions and, and what we have done. Right. It, and, and oftentimes that also involves kind of digging more deeply into our experiences and, and making connections between who we were in the past and who we are in the present, who we want to be in the future. And so I think taking time and reflecting on our own stories, even, even writing our own stories, can really help to ground our identity, right? Ultimately, we want, we want small humans, humans of all ages, <laughs> 
to, to have a, a flexible identity, a resilient identity, um, and not one that's, that's, uh, that's in, inflexible or calcified, right? And I think that storytelling is a really beautiful way to, to help move in that direction, right? We, we are understanding and reflecting on who we are and what we've been through. Uh, and this helps us to get at the deeper questions of what is meaningful about those experiences and also, um, and also the the values that uh, that we see expressed in those experiences and that we can learn from. Um, so those are that's about storytelling in in our sort of real lives. Uh, but I also uh, love 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 using storytelling as a as a teaching tool, especially with my own kids. Right, I have a two year old and a six year old. Um, and my six-year-old and I have a, a long-standing tradition of, of telling spontaneous bedtime stories, uh, and these are these are collaborative stories that came out of um, well. Uh, a desire for her to just want stories all the time, right? I think so many parents uh, are familiar with the, the request from a tiny voice to, to tell them a story. And for a long time, I would just repeat stories that I knew, or I would condense popular children's movies into, into short stories. Um, and then eventually she started asking for stories about specific characters that she was making up. And so we ended up just delving into this new world that we created night by night. Uh, and it was, it's such a powerful place to go with her in part because it's a place where we can be silly and it's a place where we can be creative. Um, and we can work together in this like shoulder to shoulder way that, um, I think is really empowering for her, but it's also a place where sometimes we can explore some of the hard stuff that has, you know, happened in the world or something that has happened in her life. Uh, and so sometimes I'll be, I'll be much more intentional about the, the types of characters we encounter or the plot points of the stories. And it gives us a chance to, to work through some of the feelings that she might be having uh, without me sort of interviewing her and, and grilling her about her feelings. Um, and so the, the storytelling, the narrative provides this kind of safe space that's a little bit further removed from her experience and, and allows us to sort of play in that area, right? We can exper experiment with, well, what happens when a character behaves in a certain way, you know, in the case of a conflict, right? Um, well, what happens if they do this other thing, right? And then we imagine how it can play out. And I, I think that that really helps to develop her moral imagination, um, which is then active as she is navigating, you know, the wild west of kindergarten where she is now. Um, and so, you know, that's more like imaginative storytelling, of course. Um, but I think there are there are ways for for both of these dimensions and probably even more um, to to come into play when um, when connecting both with ourselves and um, both with others and with the different versions of of ourselves um, that we sit with. I really like the very last thing that you said about connecting with others and ourselves. So how do we help kids? And maybe this is even grade level specific, but how do you have any tips or strategies for how we help teach our girls and our troops how to tell good stories, how to tell stories well? Um, yeah. So I think that, um, I mean, it, it depends, right? Some kids are going to love fiction, right? They're going to love delving into uh, imagination, right? And I would, I would do these kinds of exercises sometimes if I was taking my my youth group kids on a trip, for example, like we would play games in the car or do other storytelling games while we were, you know, picking potatoes for a service project. Um, but I think 
helping kids be comfortable with their own story, their lived experiences um, is, is a big gift that you can give to them. Right. And so um, one of my favorite activities to do with kids, and this um, came about as I, I heard, heard this on, on NPR uh, years ago, <laughs> um, but NPR was asking folks to send in uh, what they called race card stories. And so they were supposed to be six word stories that distilled uh, your experience or, or a powerful experience of, of, of race. And so um, we have, we have done that um, with, on the, on the idea of race. And so it's really, it's really powerful. Um, it helps people really distill a memory or a story to only give them six words to express something in. Uh, but we've also used that tactic with, you know, a lot of other kinds of questions. Um, and so sometimes, you know, if we're coming back after summer break, um, giving them six words to define their summer, right? Um, or if uh, sometimes, you know, often we will do highs and lows when we meet or do, you know, joys and concerns, depending on, on, on where you are, um, or roses and thorns, there are many ways. But uh, sometimes we would do six word roses or six word thorns, right? And, and give them um, just a, an exercise to... Um, to help them be a little bit more creative and thoughtful when they were, were going to tell, tell us something about themselves, right. Tell us a story. Um, we also, I also really liked using acrostics with them. Um, and again, this, this can appeal to, to middle schoolers and high schoolers and older elementary school kids too, I think. Um, and it appeals to them regardless of whether they, you know, are interested in kind of more creative uh, expression or whether they are like a just the facts ma'am kind of <laughs> kind of person. Um, and so acrostics are, you know, I, I'm sure I'm sure you all are familiar, but you take a word and then you use the, the letters of each word to either, you know, create a, a line in a poem or, you know, you just kind of use use the first letters to create words that are associated with something. Right. Um, and so, you know, we did that. We told pandemic stories using acrostics in my in my youth group um, in the fall of 2020. Um, and, and it was really powerful, the things that they were, that they wanted to talk about, right? Some of them wanted to retell stories that they had heard on the news. Some of them wanted to tell stories about, you know, the grief that they were experiencing, not being able to be with their friends. Some wanted to tell stories about kind of unexpectedly connecting with family members when they were all home together. Um, and, and it was a really powerful way to kind of contain those really big ideas and create a safe space where we could express those ideas, um, without them sort of overflowing their container, if that makes sense. Um, so those, those are two good ones I recommend. I love this. So in addition to this storytelling element, um, one thing that you really emphasized before, we got on our call is that you develop curriculum and and not obviously of course specifically pertaining to theology but um as you and i discussed before we hit record developing curriculum is something that um as girl scout volunteers most of us don't have any experience with there are certainly educators or people with education backgrounds who are also volunteers but i think like the large majority of us were interested possibly or not interested at all and it's really overwhelming and hard and we just want somebody to give us the steps and so there are a lot of resources out there for other people's curriculum that we can borrow but 
even adapting that to our specific group of girls and their interests and their energy levels and all of that, I, it, it can be one of the hardest things about getting started. So do you have any, I guess, like all the things, tips, suggestions about developing curriculum at different grade levels, um, so I guess age levels and um, what they, you know, what they're actually going to be really engaged in, but like take things away from and how how much do we plan for developing curriculum for working with kids and um what kinds of preparations should we do and what's over prepare I don't all of the things all of the things indeed yes oh man I hear you um I love writing curriculum it takes a lot of work but I um care, as you can probably tell, I care very deeply about treating young people um, like, you know, with, with the respect that they deserve, right? Frankly, not, not talking down to them. Of course, being age appropriate um, in terms of, of the, the content that we introduce, but I, I, I don't often find curriculum that I, that I like. There's some, of course, some good stuff out there. And so when I am creating a lesson, or a discussion maybe is a better, is a better tool. Um, I, I have found that my middle schoolers and my high schoolers, especially, they need creative outlets. They need space where they can like get messy with glue and glitter, um, and where they can like make something with their hands. Right. So many, again, high schoolers specifically are, um, they are, they're taking all the AP classes. They are like joining all the clubs. They are building a resume that is more impressive than mine will ever be right before they turn 18. Um, and, and so creating a space where they can like kind of bring it down a few notches and do something silly and, or maybe not silly, but, but something that is creative, um, that they don't have to do perfectly, I think is first of all, just a really good opportunity for them um, to kind of unplug from this pursuit of, uh, I don't know, achievement and excellence that uh, that so many of them have, have learned to have so young. Um, and so honestly, I, I am not a particularly gifted crafter. Um, my youth group kids are very sweet to me and tell me that I am, but I know they are lying. Um, but I am a huge fan of, um, you know, if I have an idea or something that I want to talk about, like for example, um, I really, I wanted to do a lesson for them on prayer. Right. And so I know that not everyone, you know, doing, uh, listening to this, that, that that will necessarily be relevant to them. But, um, but I wanted to talk to them about prayer as like weaving meaning into your daily life. Right. Which I think is relevant to everyone. Um, you know, finding ways to, to reflect on whatever is happening around you in light of the values that you have and the dreams that you have for the world. Um, and, and so, and how that can really help to ground us in moments when those things are, are challenging to us. And so I just sort of Googled around a little bit and I ended up finding a some people create looms out of old CD discs and, and then use yarn to sort of weave, um, you know, patterns or, or whatever they want to, um, on these, on these old CDs. Right. And so, you know, I collected old CDs from my house, um, and, and got a bunch of yarn and that's what we did one day. You know, we, we had like a free flowing conversation about, 
um, about prayer and all the different ways that they relate to prayer. You know, teenagers aren't, you know, even, even churchy ones aren't necessarily excited to talk about uh, the details of, of what they think prayer is, but they, they do want to talk about their hopes and dreams in the world and, and how it is that they are able to sort of stitch meaning into their day-to-day life when sometimes it just, it seems busy and kind of always moving from point A to point B. Um, and so like, that's an example of how like a little Pinterest craft can take on new meaning, um, in, if, if you sort of interpret it, <laughs> uh, and, and, and give tools to the, to the kids to, to interpret it in a meaningful way. Um, we also did a, another one that I really enjoyed that we actually did during the pandemic was folding paper cranes, um, which in, depending on the, the resource you, you look to um, in, in Japanese traditions sometimes are used as a form of kind of blessing in the world, right? And so I gave them a, a bunch of different opportunities or options for what they wanted to do with their paper, right? So we cut squares of white paper and then, um, and then you know, whether they wanted to write something, write, you know, a, a hope or a dream or something that they're struggling to let go of right? Or maybe they wanted to draw a picture or they wanted to write a, you know, a song lyric or Bible verse, right? They could decorate the paper however they wanted. And then after they were done with that, we did the origami fold the crane thing. Um, And so in that way, we practiced transforming whatever they had written on the paper um, into a different thing, right? We, we, we transformed it from the slot piece of paper into a beautiful, um, into a beautiful creation. And so in that way, we practiced the fact that we too can be transformed um, and we can be transformed by relying on these, these hopes and these, these dreams for the world sort of moving towards, towards those things. Um, So I think there are so many resources out there for, um, you know, inexpensive, you know, use what you have on hand types of activities. It's just a matter of finding a, an angle to them that is, you know, that is relevant for your group, right? You may not have kids that you feel like really need to do the crafting, right? You may have kids that have like zany energy and they need an activity that involves sort of sprinting around, right? And so you can find tons of websites that have games that are, you know, appropriate for different age levels. It's just a matter of um, using a little, a little creativity to, to figure out how to incorporate that into a, a meaningful experience, right? Sometimes play itself is just meaningful and that's fine too. Um, but you can, you can usually find a way to overlay it um, with something else. As it relates to um, media is the other big thing I wanted to, to suggest. Um, I do a lot of, of lessons for my kids using podcast episodes and TED Talks, especially. Love, love me a TED Talk. Um, we have fantastic conversations inspired by TED Talks. Sometimes it can take a little while to find some good ones. I have some curriculum on my on my website that is uh, about, you know, it's a curated set of six or seven TED Talks um, and sort of how I use them with my with my youth. Um, but they they are again, they're in school. And so they're they're learning a very um, intentional, I don't know, they're a curated version of the world. Uh, and so they they really enjoy being invited into these other spaces, right? TED Talks can feel a little luxury, but they're short and they're interesting and they're from people that they probably have never heard of before. Um, and so for for kids who are able to kind of sit still um, and and listen to a 12 to 15 minute presentation, um, TED Talks have been a really great space um, for uh, for my kids and have led to some really fantastic conversations. 
Yeah, actually, I was looking at your um, kind of TED Talk blog posts and and resources. And um, speaking of your site with resources and and curriculum, um, you do have some anti-racism resources. And that's actually one of the first topics that we connected on um, when we agreed to chat in the first place. And so I want to know about... Well, I want to know about, first of all, like what led to your experience of developing these resources in the first place? What what made you decide to develop these and to approach these topics in your own work? Yeah, I think so. I am uh, I am white and was raised in a predominantly white space. Um, and so I have, I had a lot and still have a lot of reckoning to do with, uh, my own awareness of, um, of racial justice and my own sort of ways that I have been complicit in racial injustice in the world. Um, usually by accident, but maybe sometimes with more intention than I realize. Right. And so there's a lot of reflecting that I, do slash have done, um, since, you know, making, making friends, um, good friends who are, are not white and like being invited into, into a more diverse world. Um, you know, I now live in, in a suburb of Washington, DC in a, in a very diverse space. And that's, and that's one reason why we live here. Um, because it is so important to me to, to continue my own, growth and learning and to raise my kids in a space where there are literally people from all over the world speaking all different languages all the time. Um, and, and so we get to celebrate these differences in addition to celebrating what we have in common, um, understanding some of the complicated relationships for how society would like to, you know, have us organize ourselves. Um, and so, you know, it started of course, from, this desire to be a better human myself, a more intentional human, a human who was able to listen to and understand the experiences of of friends and and colleagues, right? Um, And so I, anti-racism work with my my youth um, who are also predominantly white, not exclusively, um, but we you know, bringing anything that is important um, in, in social justice world um, and in how we relate to each other is something that I think should be brought into, you know, church or, or to other spaces where, you know, groups of, of children are gathered and you are talking about, um, you know, what is meaningful and, and, and how to create meaningful relationships, right? So, um, you know, our, our church in, in particular also is on an anti-racism journey. And, and so we try to, to be very um, explicit about that and, and try to, to do good work in that, in that area and partner with, uh, with others who, who help us learn and grow um, and do, do good work. But, um, but so I, I, but I wanted sort of resources specifically to meet my youth where they are. Right. And frankly, where they are is amazing because they grew up in this, in this space and have friends um, from, again, from so many different backgrounds. And so in so many ways, they, they find this, the, the things on the news, like kind of hard to understand. They find the idea of implicit bias difficult to understand. And so um, in a lot of ways, I help to help them to reflect on and to, um, 
you know, talk about with their, with their peers, these, these questions that they, um, that they see, but they don't necessarily realize how it may impact them as well, um, or the, the world that they're going to be going into. Um, so I also, again, like coming from a church background, I really wanted to, to create tools that enabled them to engage their, their faith in all of this, um, as well. And so, you know, a lot of these tools are, are useful without that component. Um, but, uh, but that was another reason why I felt like I needed to, to create some of these things, um, because I, I wanted to create something tailored to their experiences that also, um, incorporated, um, some of the, 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 the church traditions or, or other things that, that would be important to them. Yeah. And so you have, um, in, and I want to go ahead and put this out there for anybody who's interested in checking out what you, um, have put together, uh, your anti-racism resources are labeled as always free on your site. So, um, and of course we'll include links and things in the show notes for anybody who's interested, but so you have three kind of main resources in that, in that category, and they're based on, different books and you had specifically mentioned one of those to me but I'm wondering do you uh want to share a little bit about kind of what the resources are that you've put together and how to use them (laughs) absolutely yeah so these resources are specifically ones that are um more tailored for adults so um again as I mentioned being willing to interrogate our own experiences and our own journeys as adults, I think is really key to being able to show up in these spaces authentically with young people. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of that that's, uh, you know, of course, also, also needed for adults. So, um, so these resources are, are more designed for adults. Um, one is um, based on uh, Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, although we did use a version of um He has another book that he co-wrote with Jason Reynolds called Stamped, which is a a version of one of his other books called Stamped from the Beginning that is is written for a young adult audience um, or a a teenager audience, not young adults. Um, And so we did read that in our youth group. Um, And I do have discussion questions for that, although it's not quite cleaned up. Um, But if anyone wants them, please let me know. And I'm happy to send you my slightly less cleaned up version of them. uh, but the the other one of the other ones that is available is uh, called based on a book called Raising White Kids, which I cannot recommend highly enough to parents who are uh, well, especially to white parents who are raising white kids, but but to anyone who is who is raising white kids because it is one of the first resources, maybe the primary resource I can think of of one that that helps to end up with a healthy, relationship to whiteness. And so, you know, I've read white fragility. I've done the white guilt thing. I, many of us probably have. Um, and, and, but it is really hard. Like if you were to ask someone who is, who is white, who is thinking about these things, like what is a healthy relationship to whiteness, right? That, that at least for me would have been a difficult question to answer. Um, and but after reading this book, um, I, I have a, a, a better answer now or an answer that I think is, <laughs> um, is more workable for me and my family. And, and so I thought that this was, um, this is a super wonderful tool. I've led this, I've led this book, uh, discussions on this book with, um, a handful of different organizations, one, one being a church space, um, and two others being just sort of a, a group of friends who wanted to read it. And then a, a group of foster parents who wanted to read it. 
Um, and, and that one, I, I really can't recommend highly enough. It has a lot of tips for families with children at different ages, different stages, different levels of familiarity with the, even the idea of race, um, and approaches it really from a whole bunch of developmental developmental stages. So, um, I loved that again, my kids are younger, but it also, um, gave me plenty of, of ideas and ways to engage my older teenagers, uh, in, in the youth space, um, when, when, you know, topics of, of race would, would come up, uh, in our, in our discussions. Um, so that one is, is super good. Um, there's also a, a discussion guide and Bible study for between the world and me, by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is a devastatingly beautiful book. And I highly recommend to all humans as well. Um, and that one is, again, like the discussion guide and stuff is, is, is for adults. Uh, but I learned so much from reading that. Um, and it's actually on my, on my to-do list to reread soon um, because it is the kind of book that is, um, I, I would sometimes get distracted by the beauty of the writing um, and then forget that he was, you know, telling this tragic, uh, you know, a, a tragic story or something that was really traumatic. <laughs> uh, and so it really speaks on, on so many levels. So I, I love all of those. Um, and then as it relates to um, options that are out there for, for youth, um, there are some youth and, and younger oh, and kids, uh, elementary school age kids. Um, there are some other resources that I, I do also super recommend. Um, one is a website that's devoted to race conscious parenting. Um, that may be something that uh that you are familiar with. Uh, there's also a website, um, embracerace.org. Uh, and those are spaces where people can share stories and sometimes have, have resources, ideas for, uh, for activities or discussion questions, and, and also just support in uh, what can be a, um, a difficult, uh, difficult conversations um, and, and their lifelong conversations, right? So all the support uh, is welcome. <laughs> um, Okay, so I know that we've been talking for a little while, and um, I do want to touch on your Girl Scout experience. But before we do that, if because I think this is important, as a white woman leading these discussions, especially with predominantly white youth, do you worry about doing it wrong or saying the wrong thing, or if you're doing a good job? <laughs> all the all the time, right? Like, and I think that's actually one of my one of the things that I try really hard to be transparent about with the, with the kids. Um, we work really hard to use inclusive language. We work really hard to, um, to be, to be honest, but, but one of the things that you sort of have to, again, a tricky word covenant or it's a promise, um, and agree to before you have these conversations is that it's a, it's a safe space, right? And, and it is a safe space to make mistakes in, and it's a safe space to call people out in, Right. Not as like a, I gotcha, you made a mistake kind of thing, but just a, we are all agreeing here that we want to do better. And, and so we can learn from each other. And so when we are, you know, when we correct someone for, um, using a, a word that may not be the, the most appropriate word or, um, or for, uh, you know, expressing a bias, maybe by, by accident that we didn't realize we were expressing. We're not doing that to be mean. We are doing that because we are all on a, a learning journey together. Um, and so honestly making mistakes and, 
and modeling for them what that looks like for me is I think a really important job, a really important thing I can offer them, right? I can show them what it's like to misspeak uh, and, and then correct myself and apologize um, and, and start again, right? And so I think the um, modeling of that uh, and, and, and embracing the vulnerability of that is really hard, but is so important as leaders too, right? Because again, like to show up authentically, um, that you're also showing up in these spaces as a learner. Um, and, and kids, I mean, kids know, right. They, I'm not, I've, I've never really been accused of being cool, but, um, but teenagers like me because I'm pretty honest about, about who I am. <laughs> um, and teenagers respond to authenticity, um, and to, uh, adults who are willing to be vulnerable, uh, especially in these hard conversations. And so I really, um, encourage, I encourage that. Um, and again, that really is best done if there's a conversation about that ahead of time, right? Um, just to remind people of the, the things that you agree to um, before you, you step into these kinds of spaces. So I have, um, and this is not necessarily on my, on my website, but in addition to the race card, um, those six word stories, right? There are, I've, I've done a couple, a, a bunch of other kind of wonderful discussions and conversations with um, with the youth, uh, that my, that I work with, um, and, and I'm, I'm happy to share more examples of those. Um, if, you know, if people want to reach out or, you know, if you want to talk about them uh, a little later, I don't want to, um, I don't want, I know we may be running short on time. I don't know. Um, so just let me know how you want to proceed with that. Well, I do want to, um, I do, I do have other questions for you, but I mean, I want to talk about all of it. Um, so <laughs> one thing that you, mentioned that triggered something for me uh, about having conversations with kids in the beginning, like reminders about approaching these conversations. What about with parents? Have you faced like, I mean, first of all, do you give the parents a heads up of this is what we're talking about? It's a sensitive topic. Um, Have you faced any pushback from families that aren't comfortable with these kind of conversations taking place in this Mm -hmm. context? Or how does that, how's that work for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do often give a heads up, um, when I'm, you know, when we're going to be talking about, uh, race or gender or sexuality, um, or, or other, other sort of big, big issues. Um, but honestly, the parents are really happy, <laughs> generally speaking, um, because they, these are conversations that they want their kids to be having and they want them to be exposed to, voices and perspectives that are different from their own. Um, and also I think they, you know, having been around for a little while, they, they trust me to, to do, uh, what I hope is a good job. <laughs> um, but it is, it is hard, right? There are sometimes those emails while they don't usually raise objections, sometimes they also will want to talk about this stuff. Right. And, and they also will be looking for resources and things that, that can either, uh, that they can engage with personally or that they can use to further engage their, uh, their children. Um, and so it is helpful to have a, uh, a list of, of resources, again, podcast episodes, TV shows, TV episodes, um, things that you can recommend to folks, because I do find that that is, um, that that is definitely something that they are interested in. Um, getting pushback from parents is a really hard is a really hard thing. (laughs) Um, and, and I think 
maybe inviting parents into a space where it was like just like a parents meeting, right? That that maybe would be um, a helpful thing for helping to to get everyone on on the same page um, or giving them an opportunity to like express their concerns. Um, you know, we did. I I read raising white kids with um, groups of parents from from our church. Um, and that was a really powerful experience um, because it it allowed them to to reflect on all of these things and to honestly to practice talking about it because right? not most I don't say most but I know a lot of families um, especially white families like don't have a lot of practice talking about race and so they may be embarrassed to practice talking about race in front of their kids right it may be easier for them to practice in front of other adults um, and given you know the structure of a book um, and so uh, that can that can be a uh, a tricky thing sometimes also if you're using like a like a TED talk or if you're using a resource, you can send that out ahead of time so that parents can can engage with it and can watch it and can bring you know if they have specific objections that's you know that's different than just a general like discomfort with the topic, um, but that's another thing too right sharing these resources with them um, ahead of time uh, can help them you know prepare to to talk about it with their kids in addition to to raising objections. And I guess to have an idea of the transparency of what's actually going to be discussed, I think that's important too, because sometimes you can maybe feel like you don't know what way these conversations are going to go. I mean, we never know what way these conversations are going to go, really. But one of the reasons why I think this is so important to talk about, and obviously um, I'm also white, and so this is like two white people talking about how to talk to kids about race and anti-racism like okay so let's just call it what it is but the reason why I think this is important um to to talk about in this context is because I am a white woman I was raised in a small town predominantly white um and yeah to what you said about it's it can be uncomfortable or um difficult or embarrassing or frankly shameful um challenging to figure out how to have conversations about race. I think in the work that I've been doing and the learning that I've been doing, the biggest, biggest takeaway is that for me is that I wish so much that as a white kid in a small white town, that adults in my life had been having conversations like this with me and encouraging conversations like this among my peer group. Like I I wish that these conversations had been had earlier in my life because I think that as an adult, it would make it so much easier to have these conversations. I'm trying to practice. I'm trying to do it more. I'm trying to talk about it more. That was like a big takeaway for me in um, reading White Fragility is like, and, and several other books is like, especially in circles of white women, we need to talk about it. <laughs> And, um, and it's, it's weird because we want to do it well. Right. Like, and I believe that about the people who are listening to my podcast, I believe that we care about, um, doing these things. Well, if we're going to do it, we want to do it well. We don't want to perpetuate more harm. We don't want to, um, to do it wrong. We don't, if we can acknowledge, (laughs) this is like an intense statement, but if we can get so far as to acknowledge, like we are all part of racism because we've all been raised to 
contribute to a racist, a structural racism. Um, so it's in all of us and it's ingrained in all of us. And it's in the way we were taught to see and move through the world and move through spaces. Um, if we can get so far as acknowledging that it's like, well, I mean, I don't want to do any more harm. I don't want to do any more damage and, and reflecting back on my own self and saying like, there's things that I've said, there's things I've believed, there's things I've perpetuated, there's things I've participated in. And like, just to be clear, like, I'm not a KKK member. I've never, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, but, but learning about racism and having conversations about racism, it's like, racism is so much more nuanced than just that. And, um, and so the ways that I can now acknowledge that I personally have participated, I think there's fear and there's insecurity in, well, I don't want to keep I don't want to keep making those mistakes and I don't want to keep showing up wrong or badly. And, and so I'm, I want to share this and I want to share this from a vulnerable place, because if you are, uh, if you identify as a white woman and you're listening to this, if you've started doing some of this, um, kind of anti-racism work, that's been really popularized in the past 18 months, um, then, I'm uh, going to go ahead and assume there are people who identify that way, who are listening, who can understand and empathize with where I'm coming from as like, it can be really intimidating. Like, I know it's important. I want to do it. I want to have these conversations with my own kids. I want to have these conversations with my peers. I want to have these conversations with, I mean, I don't currently have a troop, but um, these are things that my troop was starting to dive into because it all went into, for those of you listening, this may make a little more sense, like World Thinking Day themes back in 2020, right? Yeah. Um, about kind of gender equality and the other layered um, identity pieces that uh, impact gender equality beyond just gender, right? So this was all part of curriculum, especially for middle and high school girls, um, middle, yeah. Um, and so cadets, seniors, and ambassadors. Um, and so I, I know that my group would have been interested in continuing to have these conversations more and more as if we had been able to, um, to stick together and continue meeting in person through the pandemic and everything. Um, but anyway, so I want to be, you know, I know they look to me as a person who, who is a role model for how they move through the world and how they see the world and how they interact with themselves and their relationships with themselves and with others and, and, this has to be part of all of that, right? Like it, it is, it has to be. Um, and so if they are, especially, you know, I had cadets in my troop who would hop onto Zoom meetings during the pandemic with Black Lives Matter flags hanging behind them, right? And they care about these things. They're hearing about these things. They're exposed to these ideas, which kind of touches on what you said at the beginning of this conversation. Um, they're learning about it at school. They're learning about it on the news. They're learning about it like in all in their peer to peer conversations, like um, conversations they're having at home with their families. Like there's all kinds of ways that they're exposed to these ideas and sort of um, it's kind of the most accurate term I can think of, but sort of like whitewashing this to leave it out of Girl Scouts when what Girl Scouts is about is identifying the problems in our community, learning about the root causes of those communities, of those, of those problems and taking action to make sustainable, lasting change, um, for those root causes to prevent those problems that we see. Like this is, this is part of all of it. It has to be part of all of it. And, um, and it's okay 
to be afraid and it's okay to be insecure and we're all just doing the best we can. That's kind of what I'm trying to say here. Um, so yeah, that's my no, little it's soapbox. So, it's so true. And so I'm glad you got on your soapbox. Um, <laughs> it's so true. And again, like, as you know, you mentioned earlier, like we are two white ladies talking about this, like we need to like in groups of white people, like we are, we do need to be talking about this, right? Like we are, we are the places where these conversations need to like continue happening. Um, and, and often, you know, learning shoulder to shoulder, um, about, about these things with our, our youth, right. We don't need to be experts. We need to give them tools, uh, and situations to like practice those tools and to share honestly about their experiences, what they're seeing in the world, and then how they want to reflect on, on those things. And so, um, yeah, like it's, it's all, it's so important. I love what you said about, um, the being really invested in local communities, because I think so many communities, not all communities, but so many communities have untold racial histories. Um, and this is like a great way that an older, you know, an older troop, uh, uh, older kids can, um, be engaged in that at a hyper local level. Um, and, and so like learning that history, finding people who can, who can tell you about, um, about the, the racial history of a, of a town or of a, a county or a, a community, um, is a great way to, to bring this, to bring this home and to, um, you know, give them real things that they can plug into, um, to, to help continue what is hopefully a, you know, a positive trajectory, um, yeah. yeah, there's one thing in particular that you started off that response with that I really want to reiterate and I mean, rephrase in my own words, which is um, the importance here is that nobody's expecting us to show up as anti-racism experts and teach girls about anti-racism. That's not the point here. Um, the point here is that it's leading, right? We're not teachers, we're leaders. Um, it's leading discussions so that we can let them explore their own experiences and ideas. And so the resources that um, Jen has available are discussion guides, right? And, and reflection guides. And so the, the purpose is to, um, to lead and not necessarily to teach. And hopefully that helps take some pressure off of it for whoever's listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, okay. To wrap up, um, <laughs> you told me before we started recording that you were um, a Girl Scout growing up and now flash forward and you have a kindergarten girl and you are looking into the world of daisies. And so talk to me a little bit about your experience with Girl Scouting, your memories of Girl Scouting. If you think that your experiences in Girl Scouts impacted who you are and what you do today and why you're interested in getting your own girl involved. Yeah. I mean, I was not a Girl Scout for a super long time. Um, three years in, uh, later elementary school where my, my Girl Scout heydays. Um, and I mean, I, I remember just having such a good time with my friends, right. My, um, my mom and my best friend's mom were co-leaders and, you know, I think the, the, the girl led piece, I, I don't think I appreciated it much at the time, but looking back, it was, it was so, uh, it's such a big part of our experience, right? Like I could choose the things that I, I remember being really excited about, like an astronomy badge. And I, I, I loved, you know, I was a, a, an athlete, so I loved 
loved all the, like the, the sports sort of uh, the, the sports ones. Um, and we would do the science experiments, right? There were just so many different options. Um, and I appreciated that um, our experience was able to be tailored to like, the things that we were really interested in. Um, you know, we went camping, which I remember. Um, and I, I specific, like just weird, like odd little flashback memories, right? I remember one of the leaders telling us that we should always pack extra socks because you could always wear socks on your hands as mittens if you got cold, but you couldn't wear mittens on your feet. Um, and so just like these weird little things um, that, that accumulate uh, that are all sort of a part of that experience. Um, I remember um, the, a lot of the songs are, you know, I come from a musical family. And um, so maybe I don't know if that's that's emphasized in, in lots of other spaces. Um, but it, in our troupe, we we sang a lot. Um, and uh, and so sometimes little fragments of those songs will still come back to me, um, you know, however many years later, uh, un unexpectedly. Uh, and there'll be a little little treat to walk down that memory lane. Um and so yes, yeah, my songs daughter are songs are a big part of Girl Scout. Not I'm not gonna say every Girl Scout is um like experiences a lot of singing because that's a really weird, but yes, it's popular everywhere. That's a big tradition. Yeah. So I love that. Right. You said yeah. That. Okay. Amazing. Um, yeah, man, love it. Um, and and so my daughter is um a, quite a social kiddo, and you know, we've been looking for COVID safe things or, you know, places where that we feel like are, are doing a good job of, um, of, you know, balancing the, the precautions that are so, so needed with providing opportunities for like socializing, which are also so, so needed. Uh, and so there's, um, some of the, the girls in her class are in a troop and, um, they, they only, they meet every other week. Uh, and so we haven't been able to make many meetings as of yet because she would be kind of a, a mid-year joiner, but, uh, but she is, she is really excited about it. She really enjoyed the, the first meeting that she went to, um, and it was, it was nice, right? It was, they were talking about women who were role models and, um, you know, my, it was, it was just, it was nice, right? Like the, the kids were, were invited to participate and were encouraged in their, their art projects. Right. And it was just, it was just a, a fun, really positive space. Um, and so she clearly enjoyed it because she's been, been begging to, to, to go back. <laughs> so we're excited for our next meeting. That's so great to hear. Well, I've loved this conversation. And like I said, I feel like I could ask you a hundred questions. I mean, we probably could have done a whole interview just about your experience working with kids in the foster system. And so like, um, to be able to talk about a little bit about so many different things has been a lot of fun for me. I hope it was also fun for you. Um, my guests and also fun for you, my listeners. So, um, hopefully this was, uh, just as good for, for everybody else involved in this podcasting experience as it was for me, but I really appreciate your time today. So thank you so much. 